I love that Leanne kind of gave you guys a little snippet of what happened yesterday, and I love when we get to organize and be a part of our community in an organized fashion, but what really blows my mind is when we do things uh, outside of this room that we as a staff or we as a leadership find out about later. Those are the things that really make our hearts sing. Um, I'll give you two. Last Sunday, I didn't know this, but uh, we had about 30 of our kids go and pack uh, these boxes over at another uh, partner of ours, their home, and they did some games and stuff. They packed those for a homeless ministry called Home Street Home and just kind of met there for the afternoon to do that. And then this one really made my heart sing. Uh, Wednesday night, I found out on Facebook or Instagram, didn't even know that our students went and painted a classroom. So they meet on Wednesday nights at this thing called Encounter up near, kind of in South Hendersonville. And so after they were finished, some of the students went, hey, we know of a teacher who needs help painting at her, cl- at her class. So they arranged to meet over there. So our students just show up and paint this teacher's classroom. And uh, there was a wrap, like they wrapped while they were there. It was really awesome. It was on, on Instagram. But what I love about those moments is this. These are not just things we do. It's who we are. And I love that our DNA is one that just says we love, love, love to serve and be generous. And, and if that means giving away stuff or giving away our time, our energy, our attention, that's what we want to continue. So if you're new here, in addition to what Leanne has told you about who we are, we are that. We love to just be generous in our community, no strings attached. Several years ago, we uh, were taking a trip to Honduras. It was the first trip Lori and I had ever taken to Honduras, actually. And Honduras, if you don't know, is just dear to my heart. I've been going to Honduras for the better part of a decade, and I just love the people. I love the culture. I love the cities, uh, everything that uh, is, is a part of Honduras. So we didn't know a lot about Honduras. I had watched a YouTube video, and uh, it was a, a special that someone had filmed on their iPhone about the dump. And I remember laying there in bed one night watching this, and I said, Lord, you've got to watch this. And we had been praying through, like, hey, God, where, where is it that you want us to go next? And how is it that you want us to lead some students there at the time? And uh, I just said, this is it. This is the answer. We're going to go to Honduras. And so we were really late on planning for the trip. And so as a result of that, we were going to be working with a couple of organizations just outside of Tegucigalpa. But because we were arranging this trip late, we could not get our flight in on the date that we needed to get it in into Tegucigalpa. So as a result of that, they said, well, but we can get you into San Pedro Sula uh, on the same day. And I said, okay, that's fine. I looked at the map and I thought, well, it's only like 150 miles. I mean, and the map quest said two hours and 15 minutes. I thought, big deal, right? We'll fly into San Pedro Sula, take a little two-hour bus trip or van trip or whatever they choose for us to ride on. We'll get over to Tegucigalpa and plenty of time for lunch and, and call it a day, right? No, no, no. So we, we get there, and we walk out, and we have, we overpack, right, because we're American, and that's what we do. We just overpack. And so I've got some girls on the trip and some guys on the trip, including myself. Uh, we're going to be there for six days. They have packed for six months, and so we're pulling out these massive suitcases. And so we go out, and we're waiting on the curb, and this, this bus pulls up. And this bus, the best I can describe it to you, is about a nine-passenger van that has been modified in some ways with these little flip-down seats. It, it was almost like the seats never stopped. It was like you flip, and there's a seat, and you flip it again, and there's another seat, and then you flip it again. And there's another. So it was like these seats that were kind of custom-made into this van. So we cram all this luggage and about 15, 20 people into this little van. And so, like, I'm a big guy. So I call shotgun thinking that that would be to my advantage. It was not. The space between the seat and the dashboard was about 10 inches. And so I've got my my knees in my chest, and I'm going, okay, but it's only two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes max. 
So I'm sitting beside a guy named Willie, who is a, a Honduran, um, who has led me to believe that he doesn't speak English, but I found out later he's always, speak, he's always spoken English. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, hey, Willie, I'm Jason, you know, and it was like this nod, and so here we go. We're making really good time, and we get about 30 miles, 30 minutes or so down, uh, and I hear Willie, uh-oh. Now, I don't know Spanish, but I know uh-oh, and I'm pretty sure that uh-oh in Spanish and uh-oh in English probably means similar things. So I speak to him as if he was going to understand me. I said in my southern dialect, what's wrong? Uh-oh, not good. So I see ahead that there is a barricade and a sign next to this bridge, and it said, Sin Exceso. Well, I don't know Spanish, but I know what like a red like octagon-looking thing look is. He goes, no access. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And so the guy who does speak English, who's kind of sitting behind us, he goes, oh, it's no big deal. Willie knows all these roads. He'll get us around this. So we cut off of a side road. He goes, just a short detour, we'll be back on the road, it'll cost us about 30 minutes. I was like, okay, so we head off this little side road, and so we take a right down this little country road, and we get to a bridge, the second bridge now, and one side of the bridge is closed. And Willie's like, no problem. So we're, we're on this bridge that if you look out the window, you can see down. If you look out this window, you can see down. Well, we get about halfway down this bridge, and we realize that there's a massive pothole that it, the bus cannot sidestep. So I hear, uh-oh. <laughs> so Willie throws this thing in reverse, and so he backs out, you know, and I'm going, oh, goodness, like, I, I can't back in a straight line. I later found out this dude can back anywhere, put a bus on a dime anywhere. So we back out, and so then we come back out, we take another road, and then we head off. Guys, I don't know where we were at any given point on the map. I know we took every side road, every back road. We twisted and turned. We navigated. We trekked what I felt like was the entire northern sphere of Honduras. And about eight hours and 45 minutes, nine hours later, I can't feel from like here down. We arrive at this little place just in time or just after dinner in Tegucigalpa. And I got to thinking about that story, and I wonder sometimes if that... It's what people's experience in trying to find Jesus or trying to find a church is like. I wonder if in our culture there's times where the goal is this, is we want to get someone or we want to walk with someone from point A, and point A is always this place where they don't know Jesus. For whatever reason, maybe they don't feel any value, don't think they need to know, but whatever reason, they, they're not a believer. And our goal is this, we want to get them to point B, not that we are the ones who offer what is at point B, but we want to get them to a place where we at least begin to have some conversation about Jesus. Or maybe we want to create an environment where we can at least get to a place where we can offer an invitation to get to know Jesus or, you know, an invitation to church. And so that's kind of the, the trek that we're trying to navigate. And I wonder sometimes if there are things that exist between point A and point B that are obstacles. They appear to be, to a non-believer, these big red signs that say, seen, excesso, no access. You have come, and what they communicate is you have come as far as you can come in the current vehicle that you're driving. And I got to thinking about this week, that there's seemingly all these sub-points to point A to point B, 
There's these obstacles, the things that get in the way. And, and like I said, I, 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 I don't know what to do with all of these, but I, I do know we have to talk about some of these. See, I believe that if we're ever going to change the world, if we're ever going to change our communities, if we're going to change our city and help people meet Jesus, then we, as Jesus followers, so if you're a guest this morning, you kind of get off the hook. I'm going to talk to Christians primarily today. And if you want to applaud or amen or high five, that's fine too, because I'm probably going to say some things that you, you get. But if we ever hope to do that, then we have to help in any way, anyhow, make Jesus accessible to people. That's the word of the day, accessibility. And what I'm learning is I help lead wellhouses. I'm leading church in a new capacity. I've, I've been in church leadership for almost 20 years, but the last four and a half has been much different for me. What I'm learning is this, is that the world will not be changed alone by well-organized programming alone. It doesn't matter how well our staff organizes. That, that still's not the, 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 the front thing that has to lead. What I'm learning is that, that, that magnificent buildings is not what's going to change the world. Here's what's going to change the world. Our world will begin to be changed when we, when we Christians, decide when we become totally determined to make things like grace, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, love, more accessible. Meaning that people have an easier way from getting from point A to a conversation that awaits them in point B. Making Jesus accessible to everyone dealing with anything at any time. Now here's what you need to know about God. God is all about accessibility. God has always been about accessibility to agree. But when we get to the New Testament, accessibility blows the doors wide open. He is always, and you don't have to venture very far into the Gospels. I'm just going to kind of quick hit these, but look at this. In Matthew, who's another Gospel writer, we've been primarily in Luke for this series, and we're going to get there in just a second. But Matthew, who was also another friend and follower of Jesus, who had a story that we'll get to later. But Matthew writes this. He says that they will call him, him being Jesus, they will call him Emmanuel. This is on the birth end. Jesus has just been born. They will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. John, who's another gospel writer, also a friend and follower of Jesus, he says this. He says that in a little different language. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, we get to, this is not on the screen. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus made his dwelling among us. Then we get into Luke, Luke chapter 2. It says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy and get this for all the people. And here's the great news. The great news was that Jesus, the arrival of God in the flesh, that God's son, Jesus, the good news was that he is here. That he is among us. You fast forward just about 20 verses in Luke chapter 2, verse 30 and verse 32. Look at this. For my eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of what? All nations. And it's a, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. The Jews 
and the Gentiles. All of a sudden, this opens up. This revelation, this source of salvation, this good news opens up. John the Baptist, who is uh, uh, preparing the way for Jesus, he's getting people ready like, hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So he teaches and he preaches and he does all of these things in order to get people ready for the coming of Jesus. And listen to what he says in Luke chapter 3. He says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. And look at this. The rough way smooth and all people will see God's salvation. Jesus. God wanted to be among us in order to make himself available to us. God chose through Jesus to come and dwell among us so that his love, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his salvation was completely accessible to everyone. And enter Jesus. And Jesus took on the characteristic of his father in this way. Jesus was constantly making himself available and accessible for a variety of people in a variety of ways in a variety of places. Jesus found himself, if you just read through Luke, Jesus found himself visiting synagogues, their churches. Jesus says, listen, I'll even go where the church people are. But we see as this thing unfolds, Jesus meets people in chapter 5. He meets them in their workplaces. He meets them on mountainsides where they had been outcasts in the shadows of the rich and famous. Those are the places. He's in these valleys and hillsides with people. We see that he is outside of brothels. He's even in trees. We see him day and night. Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night and Jesus says, listen, I don't close. This is always available. I'm going to be wherever I need to be, whenever I need to be, for whoever I need to be. See, Jesus was constantly battling the religious people in this way. Jesus was constantly telling the religious people as the story unfolds of his ministry, stop putting obstacles in the way of people knowing me. Stop putting barriers in the way of people trying to get from point A to point B. We see this in one of the, the first encounters that they have with Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, I'm going to put this up. People were trying to get to know God, and Jesus is kind of launching his ministry, and he wants everybody to know, here's what I've come for, and here's who it's available to. And so he meets them on their turf. He meets them in a synagogue. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 15. He was teaching in their synagogue. Now, skip down. He takes out a scroll. Skip down in verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. He says, here's why I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to recover the sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, by the way, guys, the forgotten, the excluded, the outsiders, guess what? They are going to have access to the inside now. That's why I'm here. And I know this is going to come a shock to you. The church people didn't like it. Look at verse 28. They have this discussion, and look how this ends. And I don't have time to get into all that's in here, but look at this. All the people in the synagogue, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And so Jesus battles them from this day forward, and here's why. They had created a system where they found themselves on the inside, and here's the beauty of it, they got to decide who was in and who was out. 
And here comes Jesus saying, well, yeah, this is for everybody and anyone. And they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. We know where you're hanging out. Remember, we talked about that week one. Do you not know that your teacher, that your leader eats with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? They knew where Jesus. And so all of a sudden, if Jesus was opening this up for people that he was hanging out with, they were going, listen, it's just a matter of time before our synagogues are going to be filled with these people. And I believe that in a lost world, a world that is lonely and confused and broken and hurting, that people should be able to not just find help, they should be able to find it easily, especially from the church. And let's be honest that the church historically has not always done this very effectively. And I don't think it's always without good intentions. So hear me out on this if you're old school church. I wonder sometimes if churches, in trying to be good overseers of God's resources, unintentionally developed enormous systems that were meant to freely dispense, but instead we made it more difficult than it should have been. And here's the caveat. But it made our lives easier, so we were good with it. I wonder if we took something that was intended to dispense these things that we just talked about freely. But we, we wanted to be good stewards. We wanted to be responsible. We wanted to be you know, accountable to God and what he's given us. So we create these systems that we thought was going to make it easier to dispense things. And in reality, it made it difficult to dispense certain things. But it sure made our lives easier on Sunday morning or in other times. So we just kind of became good with it. And the tragedy of this is that the ones that we're called and commanded to dispense to and love completely miss out. See, Jesus wanted them to know life and freedom and all of these things that love was available to them, even to the point of dying for them. Now, let's fast forward for a second. See, at his death, there's something significant. We're going to kind of spend the rest of our time here this morning. At his death, there is something significant that happens that opens up a new level of accessibility. We overlook this in order to get to the good stuff because we want to immediately get to the resurrection. We see the death, but we're like, man, we got to get to the grave. But there's something happens at his death that is so significant for the way we will operate, the way we will attack, the way we will tackle our world and the way that we live in it. Look at this. In verse 44, it was now about noon, darkness came over the whole land until, uh, until the afternoon. The sun had stopped shining, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Jesus, our Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he dies. When he said this, he, he, he breathes his last breath. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praising God, said, surely this was a righteous man. I want you to go back real quick to verse 45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Here's the significance of this. And I don't have time to go into all the detail. See, the curtain of the temple, what was known as the veil, was this like 60-foot, 4-inch thick, so that there was no seeing through it. There was no like peering in. It was this massive, heavy curtain. And it separated where 
most people could go and where only the priests could go, this area known as the Holies of Holies. And here's what's significant about that, is that this was the space that God's presence dwelt on earth at that time. And so as a result of that, this curtain represented all the things in our lives that separate us from being able to get to the presence of God. And so we would have to go and sacrifice, or we would have to go and see the high priest, and the high priest then, who was made righteous and clean, would be able to access the presence of God on our behalf. And Jesus comes and completely tears that in two. The Hebrew writer says it like this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, he says, since we have confidence Get this, to enter now that most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by living a new and living way, look at this, opened up through what? The curtain that is his body. So Jesus rips this thing wide open. And God the Father, through Jesus, completely and fully becomes accessible and available to everyone dealing with anything at any time. So I got to thinking in light of this series, what are the modern day curtains? What's those modern day veils? What's those obstacles, those barriers that stand in the way of someone who has lost, not a lost cause, but maybe not where they currently need to be or should be? But what is the things that get in the way between them getting to have a conversation or getting to know Jesus or getting to be a part of a community, that point A to point B. And here's what I came up with after doing some reflecting, doing some asking, doing some praying, doing some thinking. Here's what I concluded. You ready for this? We are. We are. We're the curtain. And let me clarify, and again, guests, you relax for a second. This is in no way meant to be discouraging, but it's challenging. I've never had more confidence in preaching a lesson like this than I do today. Because I know that we, to the best of our ability at Wellhouse, we tackle this eyes wide open. And we have, we have worked with, through the grace of God to create environments that I believe are less curtainy. I don't even know if that's a word, but less curtainy than some. But this is meant to help us continue to focus and become more and more aware as we begin to ask, are we continuing to do our best part, putting toward our best ability, our best effort to make sure that Jesus is accessible by any means, by any way, any time to anyone? Are we helping make connections so that the community of church, which is so valuable, is completely accessible? And guys, that was our goal. When we did this right at four years ago, our goal was this. We want to get people from point A to point B, and I'm tired of having to back the van off bridges that I'm going, I'm pretty sure we could make it if we just had a little faith. I wanted to blow through stop signs and say, listen, I want the major things to be the major things. And, and i got to be honest, we've done really good at this. And I want us to continue to, to lean into this and live into this. I want us to continue to get better. And I want, before you, you ask, it, this is not a lesson about doing more. I don't want you to walk away and go, oh, man, like now i got to do better and i got to stack up more credits. And I, no, 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 we don't preach that kind of message here either. This is about us living into something. It's about week one where we talked about that we are fully aware of who we are. We are sinners saved by the grace of God and nothing else. 
But as a result of that, here's what happens, is that we live life with eyes wide open and we strive to be people of integrity so that Jesus can be seen and introduced through me by the Spirit. And in order to do that, I've got to be aware of the things that we put there. See, I believe as a Christian, it's more than just a responsibility to, to live this way. It's our purpose. It's our calling. And, 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 and we are honored. And we honor Jesus when we live to make him known and available through the Spirit. See, I, I like to think of it like this. My responsibility is I'm a date setter. I get to set up dates. I'd love to at some point introduce you to my friend Jesus. I'd love to help you navigate, and hey, we don't have to, st- we can just be friends, but at some point I'd love to help you navigate through some of the tough questions of life because I believe there's something at the other end that, that really is going to fill some, some gaps. It's really going to fill the holes. It's going to answer some of the questions. So awareness is a big part of that. So what are the curtains? What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? that I want us to, as a church and as individuals, I want us to continue to guard against. I've only got three, and then we're going to call it for the day. The first two I'm going to call filtered and non-filtered, and let's just start with non-filtered. Guys, this is real life. This is those moments that you don't get to run your photo through a filter so that you look better. It's real-time moments where people catch you in the morning without makeup, or they catch you, you know, when you're at your most frustrated point, or this is real life. This is when these environments that what you see is what you get environments. So collectively as a church, here's what I want us to continue to, to strive for. I want us to continue to create environments where non-Christian people feel comfortable. That's why we tell people every week that, listen, we are just a, a community of imperfect people. We don't have it all together. Hang out with me through lunch, you'll see. But we want to create these moments where we are striving to be not perfect people, but we are creating a perfect place where imperfect people feel good about coming. And you're going to see a major push for this in the fall. As soon as we get back in school, you're going to see this. If you haven't already seen some shirts, we're going to really push. We're really going to make this a part of our DNA in the fall. I want us to even down to what we wear. You know, I didn't think this was a big deal until I got an email message from someone in our community off of our Facebook page about, I don't know, two months ago said, hey, I'm really looking for a church, but I want to know if I come to your church, what should I wear? And I thought, is this still a thing? And it is. But I want us to, 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 to the way we look, and I want us to really just kind of present ourselves as, hey, what you see is what you get. I want us to continue to, just, to strive from parking lot to parking lot. And what I mean by that is that I love that our teams serve from the parking lot from the time you get here to the parking lot to the time you leave. I want us to continue to, to help you or at least alleviate a few things on some level so that you feel comfortable. I think we take this for granted. I think sometimes we expect people to find too much. So get this. Here's what we expect from people. You need to find our website, find our service times, find directions, find an open parking space, find the right doors to go in, find the lobby, find someone with a how can I help you badge, find where to drop my kids off, find their way back into here, find their seats that doesn't belong to someone else, find the verse that I'm using in my Bible, find communion, find your way back to your seats, find the way back to pick up their kids, find their car, find the nearest restaurant because I went too long. I want to continue to alleviate that stuff where people go, listen, this is going to be a nightmare. I tell our crew every week, have fun. Have fun. It's okay to smile. It's okay to people navigate these moments. I don't ever want our environments to become where you feel like you're not part of the crew. You're the odd man out. If that means helping people navigate 
the hour and 15 minutes they're here. Let's continue to do that. In your personal space, I want your home, your workspace, your neighborhoods, your circles. Okay, am I creating real life, real time, at the moment environments where, you know what, people don't think I'm weird and they don't seem uncomfortable just because they know I go to church. I want to create these moments. I want to be a good host. I want to go the extra mile. I want to be known as the person who in real time, in real life, is constantly going, how can I help you? What do you need? Can I serve you? Can I do this? Listen, I don't expect anything. We haven't even gotten to the point B yet. We're just in the point A. We're trying to move people relationally. So I want us to live non-filtered lives. Then I want us to live filtered lives. What I mean by this is that this is this cyber social media world we live in where the goal is to make everything look perfect using a filter. Or there's a second filter that exists. This is where I'm going to spend most of my time. We believe that the filter of the screen somehow makes it less real and less hurtful. I never thought this would be such a big deal back in the day when I got on MySpace. But as man, this thing has unfolded and what a, what a tool and a blessing, but what a toxic wasteland. And I believe it's getting in the way of Jesus. I didn't think it mattered. And I put out something this week, and I just really was wanting some feedback from church and non-church people. I just put something out on my Facebook and kind of in a sentence described the veil. You know, here's what that means. And I just asked the question for those of you who aren't on Facebook. It was just, I would like to know from your perspective, what are the modern-day veils? What are the modern-day curtains that keep people from being interested in Jesus or interested in church? And I got some great feedback, and everybody behaved. But I got some great feedback. But the one that caught me was not the one you got to see. It was the one that said in my mailbox, in my messenger. And I got several. But I had someone who was what I would consider a millennial. And they, they had basic questions. Is heaven and hell real? What am I supposed to believe? You know, not, not, not you know, deeply political questions. It was just basic questions. But the first line of her message to me made me shut my computer and almost cry. Hey, I want to give you my answer to your latest question via messenger because I don't want to be attacked on social media. I'm like, what kind of environment have we created where someone can ask, what am I supposed to believe in or is heaven and hell real without the fear of getting attacked by what she thinks is Christian people? I know, I know who's on my thread. I know who's my friend. If that's you, you don't last on my friends list very long. But that was her perception, and she doesn't know you guys, and but that was what she was afraid of, was that somebody on the other end of the screen would somehow rip her to pieces because that's the reputation we have. And I want to work toward creating a social media presence that represents his presence. See, the way we say things on social media and what we post matters. I would tell you that in some ways it matters more than what you say face-to-face. -face. And the reasons being is, A, it's there forever. Oh, you may delete the post, but somebody somewhere's got it. B, you can't read into what people 
are, are thinking via their facial expressions. And you can't have follow-up dialogue always based on. And then see, it's this, everyone can see it. So I'm not going to give you rules, but I'm going to give you some pointers. Three things real quick. Guys, first of all, be aware of who might see and the search that they are currently on. Be aware of who sees your post. Think, who's going to see this and where are they between A and B? Will what I post help them stay, take a step closer to B or will it cause them to run back to A even farther? Be aware of who it is. And it, it, it's not just your friends. It's other people who may have eyes on you because of who it is that you claim to be and who it is that you claim. So be aware of who it is that's seeing your stuff. The second is this. Be smart for the love of all that's good. Fact check your stuff. If you're going to put something out there, then at least make sure it's real. Because it makes us look stupid and ignorant. And again, I think it gets in the way of Jesus being seen. It's an obstacle when people go, well, if they can't fact check and post something that's true about this, then why in the world should I believe them about this? And the, the third is this, be kind, stop being a jerk. It's not that hard. Let me tell you your best friend. At the top of your keyboard, on the right-hand side, depending on what make and model of computer you have, there's either an arrow, a backspace, or delete. It is your friend. Learn to delete. Be honest, your fingers sometimes are way more brave than they should be. Because again, we live in a filtered world where we don't think it's real. It doesn't count. Who cares? And somewhere along the way, people are reading a big sign that says, Sin excesso. No access. And I'm going to give you one more because I'm out of time. I think fear is a major obstacle. Guys, I think Christians sometimes are the most scared people in the world. I'm going to give you a little news flash. God doesn't need us to protect him. God does not need us to hunker down and protect that which he has established. Let me give you, I'm going to give you biblical background on this. Jesus makes that pretty clear when he says that on this rock, on this truth of who I am, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think sometimes, again, sometimes unintentionally, there's, there's this defensive posture we take. But guys, if you read what Jesus says in Matthew concerning his church, that the gates of hell are not... Guys, this is offensive language. He says, so don't be scared. There's nothing you can do that's going to mess this up. Just go and live into the calling that even the gates of hell can't knock this thing down. It's offensive language, but I think as Christians, we become defensive people. We play defense so much. So let me use two simple words that I believe will, will somehow make this real. And you decide which we typically, and I'm not talking about we as well, but as Christians, as you know, two words. Are we known more for being against something? Or are we more known for being for something? 
I want to be known for what we're for. So unless there's some confusion, let me tell you. I want to have an offensive mindset where we go into our communities and we let them know that we are for you. We will fight for the things that matter most in your life. We're going to serve you for the good of our community. We're going to let people know what Jesus did for them and what he wants to. We're going to help fight for their marriages, for their kids, for their families, for them to feel hope, for them to have healing, for them to have mercy. We're going to fight for justice. We're going to fight for peace. We're going to fight for joy. We're going to fight for love. We're going to fight for you. And that's the message we're going to take into our community. And listen, I don't need to know everything, and I'm not scared of what it is you bring into the relationship and scared of, and we get into these places where we go, You know, if we really open this up, man, we're going to be dealing with all kinds of stuff. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is big enough to handle all that. All I'm going to do is walk out of here and go, listen, I don't know what you think about Jesus or about the church, but I'm telling you, he's for you. He's for you. He wants your marriage to thrive. He wants your kids to to, to love and and be respectful and know Jesus. He's for you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to, to not be bound by these addictions. He wants to be for you. And I don't need to go and defend and hunker down and let them know, well, here's what we're against. Because if we don't, then somehow the church will cease to exist. Now, Jesus made that clear. We can't mess this up when we're living into his will. So as I land this morning, here's what it really comes down to. I'm going to kick it old school. I even wore like old school shoes today. (laughs) Guys, I'm going to take us back to 1992 style. Here's what it comes down to. And I know this may be cheesy, but I had to dig this out. It comes down to WWJD. You guys remember these? Everybody had one of these, right? It stood for what will Jesus do? And we were supposed to wear them because we needed reminders. Oh, I'm about to type. What would Jesus do? I'm about to walk in and leave a really bad tip for my waitress. What would Jesus, you know, like all these reminders. It was constantly supposed to be there as a reminder. What would Jesus do? And again, this is not about a work harder message. Here's what it's about. I want to become the kind of person that represents Jesus in a way that makes him, his message, and his church irresistible. So yeah, I'm going to spend tons of time asking, what would Jesus do here? In my non-filtered environments, in my filtered environments, in my fear of, of, man, just I don't know where all this is going. God, can you help me do what you would do? I'm reminded of what Gandhi said. He says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. But I'm going to tell you, i got high hopes. Somewhere the followers of that message, the people who say similar things about us today, I have high hopes and high expectations for what next. I am excited beyond measure for what's next. I'm excited about the role that we as Wellhouse and that you as individuals will have in, in the communities and neighborhoods, places with people that I'll never meet. I'm excited about what's going to happen as we begin to take on these characteristics. I want people to know that Jesus loves them. And I want people to know the love of Jesus. I want people to love and value and feel good about being connected to this body known as church, as quirky as it can be. And here's what I believe will happen. When we follow the lead of the one who sits at the top, 
See, when we claim Jesus as Lord, when we surrender our life to his will, we will begin to desire what he desires. We will begin to go where he goes. We will begin to see what he sees, and we will begin to love deeply who he loves. And we'll be able to answer life's questions by simply looking to him and asking Jesus what would you do? I just want to get out of his way. I want to let him step in front of me, and I'm going to fall in right after. And I'm going to lead wherever he leads. Father, this morning, I pray that we continue to do a good job. I'm so, I'm so grateful for this group of people who has committed to making you known and just following your lead. Got into some maybe scary things, some things that we don't always have good answers for, some things that we don't know what's going to unfold. And Father, we just want to continue to be aware of who we are and the messages that we, we present to the world in both our filtered and non-filters and what we're scared of. God, can we just pray that you give us courage? I pray that you give us patience with people. And I pray that you allow us to, to ask the simple, basic question, what it is that you would do in, in every moment of our life, not just in church moments and God, I pray for revival. I love you. I love your church. God, and it saddens me that other people can't see that and experience that. God, forgive us for being a veil. God, I pray you give this little body of people a second chance to represent you in a new way in doing so, may you be honored. But may people come to know who you are, what you're for, to be experienced your love and your grace. And God, I pray you allow us to get out of the way and just be the vehicle that's not afraid to cross the bridge, that's not afraid to U-turn and pick up someone else if we need. God, just help us to access you in a way that lets us reveal your accessibility to the world. Stand with me. Fathers, we lead today. May we approach life this afternoon, this week, differently than we did yesterday and last week. To you be the glory and honor. God, may you make your face shine upon us, give us peace, and give us the message, both in the way that we live and what we say and what we type, that says you are Lord, you are to be trusted, and that you love us. We pray this through your son's name.